GameZillaMedia.com. It's time for the last action podcast. Pop quiz, hot shot. Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need. The need for speed. Kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome, everybody, to the Last Action Podcast. It is I, the Sphinx, and joining us as always, if I'm Bond, he's my Blofeld, we got LPJ. Hello. I couldn't do a Bond villain voice. That hey, was, Sphinx. God, you <laughs> I, was, I was in the middle of... Such a setup, and you... I couldn't. I was in the middle of checking something on the screen here. Hello. God, that was terrible. It was bad. It was no good. I apologize. Here, buddy, take two. I hope you die, Sphinx. Was that wow. villainy Blo- enough for you? Blofeld doesn't get that emotional. No. So oh, um, s- still. Um, I'm going sh- to give you a shitty allergy and kill you, guys. One of a our little be- closer. One of our best starts to a podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> I I was trying to go with something and and he just destroyed it. Uh, to the white cat to James Bond. Hovercraft Joe? No, I'm not going to dignify that. With <laughs> well, like do you want to be Irma Bunt, the annoying red-haired lady? Why can't it be like Q or M or something? Why do we you know be what? Like, I'll give you that. Why do it to be a cat but, that's going to sit in LBJ's lap all the time? <laughs> Nobody wants that. Hold on. <laughs> the, quarter, the quartermaster to me being Bond, Hovercraft Joe. What's up, Sphinx? <laughs> I, I don't know. We should just restart this whole thing. But we're not going to because we are not a professional show. Clearly. And if you haven't figured this out yet, we are clearly doing a James Bond episode this week, which means, as always, if I'm James Bond, he is my Tracy. Huh? You, you could have made me the villain. Wow! I could have given you a Blofeld line that was actually pretty good, and uh, and you guys, you you just you guys, this is this is disappointing. I don't even know why I'm on every Bond episode. We have all the time in the world, darling. All the time in the world. See, Craig WK is with us today. Thank you for having me. I love how. So, in my defense, for my opening, I had to adjust some levels here because we start a little behind the scenes here. We're getting ready to start the show, and Sphinx is like, hey, how's my levels? They sound pretty good, right? And then as soon as I hit record, he's like, hey, everybody! (laughs) And he starts shouting into the mic. I'm like, well, your levels were good when you were talking like a normal human being. And now, and now that you started talking like Morton Downey Jr., there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Oh, wow. A, a nice Morton Downey Jr. reference. Real topical for everyone listening to the podcast. Uh, listen, I'm back to my teaching voice. I'm back in the classroom, and I'm just naturally loud once again. Oh, so I would have well, dropped your class a long time ago. Oh, I'm sure you would have, because... Because the way I teach is that if I don't think students are understanding it, I just talk louder. So, you know, that's that that's that's a given science. That's good pedagogy right there. Great, anyway, 
Yeah, I mean, we. I, I don't even know how long we're into this episode already. But the film we're doing today is uh, 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The one and only film done by our James Bond, George Lesenby, which I think we're going to have a whole lot to say about good old George today. But... Yeah. The only, um, I, I guess, the only remaining Bond that we haven't covered a movie by, and I guess if we want to cover one of his movies, it has to be this one. So, did we, uh, wait, did we do Roger Moore? Yeah, we did yeah. Moonraker. Oh, we did do Moonraker. Yeah, uh, when, <laughs> a, a little behind the scenes stuff. Uh, when the group reached out to me and they're like, "Craig, you know what Bond movie do you think we should do?" I was like, "Oh, well, we should probably do a Roger Moore one because we haven't." And I was like, "Oh, wait, no, we did Moonraker." <laughs> Hmm. I was like, George Lazenby wins. <laughs> Glad I'm not the only one that forgot about Moonraker then. So, yeah. Well, so, I, have we, oh, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to jump into our first experiences with the film and all that good stuff. But if there's something else, no. Um, and I can go first on this. Um, yeah, I, I, it's always, and I feel like we have the same kind of conversation every time we talk about a, a Bond movie, or at least one of the older ones, is that I can't really pinpoint to you like this is the first time I remember sitting down and watching this movie, you know, but I just remember when I'd watch all the older ones, you know, when they were on TV or watching with my dad, like I remember seeing this one and I remember it was always kind of like in the pantheon of James Bond films, kind of like the odd duck, you know, like it was, it was just, it even watching it as a kid, it seemed to me and I might be the odd duck in this conversation, but it seemed kind of off in like, different you know especially if you're like used to the sean connery movies and then you watch this one it's it's very different and i still i hadn't i when we were getting into like this is a long podcast history but when we were doing like our top bond movies and we did all those episodes i i went back and rewatched a lot of them and this is one that i (laughs) i started to watch and didn't finish (laughs) Because it's it's very long in my opinion, and I remember specifically when I was rewatching it again for this recording, I was like, "Oh, this is as far as I got last time," and I never went back. So it's been a long time since I watched the whole thing. So, um, but anyways, so that's me. I'll go next. Uh, this is one of the Bond movies that I had never seen all the way through, start to finish. I've seen all of the movie, but never, but only when it's been on TV. Like I'd always catch it in chunks maybe 15, 20 minutes here and there. So I never realized how long it was. Like, it never occurred to me that it's a long-ass movie. And um, It was the longest one until, yeah, I think, until Casino, Casino Royale. Royale yeah. Until Casino Royale, yeah. And um, so this is the first time I had sat down to watch it all the way through, start to finish. And you're right, Joe, you're not wrong. This is an odd duck as far as the James Bond films go. I mean, the ending alone makes it, a weird movie in, in as far as James Bond goes. It makes it iconic too, as we'll get to, but uh, I can go next. This is, this is one of the, you know, I, I got into bond in middle school. I started watching all of them, but this is one of the very last ones, like before like contemporary movies. When I was watching bond, this was one of the very last ones that I finally saw and it was because as a kid, like I loved Roger Moore and I loved the goofiness of Roger Moore. Sean Connery was just iconic. So when I saw that there was George Lesenby and he only did one, it was just in my head like, well, this movie can't be any good. So I always kind of waited until 
you know, eventually I decided to finally watch it from beginning to end as a kid. Probably when I owned it on VHS is when I finally did that. Um, so yeah, that's my experience with that. I will say though, so since the pandemic has started, cause we haven't done a bond movie during the pandemic. Um, I gave my, like I told myself one thing to kind of keep me busy through it all was I was going to read all the bond movies or read all the bond books, sorry, uh, of Ian Fleming. And it was just a coincidence that the next book I had to read was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So when Craig brought it up, I'm like, well, this will be kind of fun because I'll be able to offer you guys a little bit of comparison of the book to the movie because I just finished the book a few days ago. So Well, and, and I think I, and, and I remember reading that they say that this is the one that's like closest, like the closest movie adaptation of one of Fleming's books. Like it's almost word for like it's almost an identical adaptation like straight from the book as opposed to like a lot of the other ones where they just pull elements or the title or whatnot yeah i only have two of his books left honor majesty's secret service was actually written when dr no was being filmed so he only had a year or two left that he was gonna uh stay that he was gonna live so i can definitely agree with that statement like even some of the lines in the book are recycled in the movie. It's very, very similar. So, hmm. but Craig, uh, I did. I remember uh, renting this as a kid with my buddy Andy, and it was from uh, probably Entertainment Tonight uh, in sixth grade or whatever. So I was like, you know, twelve-ish or something, and I distinctly remember disliking this movie. And never, ever watching it again. I have not seen On Her Majesty's Secret Service since I was 12 years old. And I, upon rewatching it, my opinion has drastically changed. Like, 180. No, I totally agree. This was not a movie I enjoyed as a kid, probably for a lot of the reasons that Hovercraft Joe was going to bring up today. Um, not, I mean, maybe Hovercraft Joe will have a different opinion than what I think. Uh, yeah, what if, because well, he's a child? I, well, I mean, that was kind of, I was don't, trying don't to... Put, don't put words into my mouth. I haven't, I haven't told you how I feel about this movie. That's fair enough, fair enough. Just talking back and forth before we started filming or recording our episode, you were giving me a little bit of a nudge that this probably isn't your favorite bond movie out there but nonetheless yeah i i totally agree craig this was one that when i finally did watch it as a kid i'm like ugh, not not liking this and it's one that i turned away for a long time but maybe in the last 10 years or so i've actually watched it quite a few times so yeah uh all right well let's uh talk about some of the numbers for this uh, its release date was December 18th, 1969. Uh, it had a budget of $7 million. Uh, like domestic gross, $22 million, Worldwide, $82 million. So, I mean... Bond movies are just amazing in how they <laughs> just kill at the box office, $7 right? million in oh, 1969 yeah. was a lot of money. Because yeah. like the so movie- imagine $82 million that you earned. <laughs> right. <laughs> With a new Bond. Yeah. I mean... Well, I, that... mean, I think that's part of it. I think part of it was people wanted to see, you know, the new Bond. Um, so it was kind of a spectacle. Yeah. Or or is part of it that people are just like, you know, like Fast and Furious movies now, where you're like, sure. well, got to go see the new Fast and Furious movie because I see all those. So, I mean, it might have just been Could two be. were like, oh, it's a new Bond movie. Got to go yeah. see it. Um, 
So <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes on this. From now on till the end of this podcast, LPG, I'm going to let you know if this had a higher or lower Rotten Tomatoes than the 86% that Tremors got. Thank you. Um, so this movie got less than Tremors at 81%, uh, and the audience score is 64% for uh, Honor Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay. Now, it's harder to find box office numbers from back then, but I do have the top grossing films of 1969 are number one, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, number two, The Love Bug, and number three, Midnight Cowboy. And this movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service came in 11th, and surprisingly, it's the only movie we've ever done from 1969. <laughs> you guys I, haven't covered Love Bug? <laughs> not, not yet. Not quite. I will say I was waiting for you to kind of bring up a couple of those movies because it was an interesting conversation that Lesenby had at the time of the movie coming out because we already mentioned it. He only did this one movie. And it was because he thought, as well as a lot of other people thought, like Bond wasn't going to survive in the 1970s, that <laughs> we had a great cultural shift in the late 60s into the 70s. And the misogynistic James Bond with the, you know, with the crew cut and looking nice and dressy, you know, that is not what was nine. That was not 1969. You know, 1969 was counterculture. Butch Cassidy, Midnight Cowboy, Easy Rider, long hair, mustache, beards, all of that kind of stuff. So it was partially one of the reasons why Lesenby was like, I'm out. It's because he thought Bond might not be cool anymore. It wasn't what was coming in on popular trends. Yeah, this movie is way more progressive. Only one woman gets knocked out by a punch <laughs> in the face from her father. So See, Domestic abuse. They're really, I, they, were, they were ahead of the curve. Yeah, which is, I mean, we see it in the in the Bond movies in the 70s. The Roger Moore films were not geared to a younger audience, whereas the Connery movies in the 60s, like they definitely read. It was like, you know, the Beatles well, version, whereas Roger Moore doesn't quite have that feel. Yeah, I Roger think, Moore, Roger Moore Bond movies weren't really geared toward anyone. Except no, I can. think the. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Ouch. I think it was it was starting with the Damn. Roger Moore movies in the seventies where they started to basically just see what was popular and make a movie around that versus yeah. v- versus like like making Lord. a movie. You mean like uh, that uh, Star Wars movie uh, with the the lasers and the the James Bond? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So much so that wasn't isn't the famous thing that like they weren't even supposed to make Moonraker next, but then yeah. they were like, "Oh yeah. man, people like Star Wars. We gotta get into this uh, space race." So yeah, at the end of the Spy Who Loved Me, it actually says Bond will return in for your eyes only, and so they scrapped it and went with Moonraker, which the book and the movie have nothing in common. Doesn't nothing surprise. besides Hugo Drax is the villain. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else similar in that movie, in the book. I, I, I just, I know this is neither here nor there, but I just love how it's so hard to get Sphinx to say anything bad about any James Bond movie, <laughs> even like the terrible ones, like, like I, Die like, Another Day. Yeah, like Die Another Day. He had it on his list of the top five worst Bond movies, and he's like, that three and a half machine guns. <laughs> it was the worst Bond movie, I said, and I still gave it three and a half. Even I'll tell you what, Spectre, I, Spectre is second worst in my opinion now. So I'd rather watch Die Another. Oh, I don't know. Right, Die Another Day. <laughs> I, I didn't think like, about that. 
Dialer Day is stupid fun. Spectre just pisses me off. So they might is switch Dialer roles Day on me. Stupid fun. I don't think that it is. I think Any movie with Madonna is stupid fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, analyze this. <laughs> Sigmund Freud. This is when you stab a woman with a book and you say, what the hell did Halle Berry say when she did that? I can't remember. It was so I, so, so I, many so many fucking horrible puns in that I'm, movie. I'm glad I could tell already that this episode is trending to be as long as Honor Mesh's Secret Service. Yeah, we are 15 minutes in, guys. Oh, okay. boy. Uh, so let's um, let's talk about the cast uh, of this film. Uh, we mentioned obviously it's George Lazenby's come up a couple of times. Um, you get a lot of the standbys for these old Bond movies. So you got Bernard Lee as M, Lois Maxwell as Money Penny, uh, Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Um, additions or important additions. You have Diana Rigg playing Tracy and Telly Savalas taking over the role of Blofeld. Yeah, which Diana Rigg just passed away last September. Um, I believe she was like 82 years old or so. Yep. Um, Lesenby's still alive, though. Craig? And you guys know that no Bond movie that we cover can go by without me highlighting one of the goons. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got for us, then? Ilsa Stepat was the uh, uh, woman who played uh, 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 the Frau. Uh, oh, what's her character's name? Irma Bunt. I'm forgetting. Irma Bunt. Irma Bunt. I. Uh, who deserves credit not only because she was uh, a well-known uh, actress in Germany, uh, but uh, a depressing fact I learned is that uh, she did not really gain recognition from uh, the kind of English-speaking world because of this movie. She died like four days after it aired or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it, yeah, she passed away like right afterwards. She was supposedly going to be in uh, Diamonds Are Forever, and then they just sort of retired her character. Uh, and I would argue that she is the most successful uh, uh, Bond goon. She fucking well, kills yeah. Bond's wife! Yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't die, she doesn't get caught, she gets away Lives, with it, so. Murders him, or murders his wife, gets away, and then retires somewhere? Bond never gets revenge on her. She is the only true victor in the Bond villain universe. Yeah, because eventually Blofeld gets dropped on that smokestack. I don't remember remember what movie that is. For your eyes only. It's a Roger Moore when he picks him up like his his wheelchair on the end of the helicopter that dumps him. He's got like a neck brace on for some stupid fucking reason. And I know these ones go off the rail and I apologize, LBJ. But like, just help me out because I haven't seen Diamonds are forever in a while. I know it's. I know. I, I know. I need to rewatch it, but I know it's terrible. But doesn't that start off with him trying to find Blofeld? But he yes. doesn't kill Blofeld in that. I thought he killed Blofeld in the beginning of that movie. No, the whole movie Blofeld's a villain in Diamonds Are Forever. Oh mm-hmm. shoot. Okay. Yeah, okay. and what's interesting with that too, with the books, is that um, so Thunderball is the first book to have Blofeld, and then the next. Um, book is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. But the movies, Did You Only Live Twice after Thunderball? So there's a whole issue of like Blofeld, both with the books and with the movies. Because obviously in the movies, it's a different Blofeld in every single one. And even in this one, like Bond and Blofeld act like they don't know each other. 
You but know? they met in the movies. Right? In the previous <laughs> movie, You Only Live Twice, they clearly met each other eye to eye. So yeah. there's a there's a real struggle on how they made it work. So. Well, well, he was probably confused because he went from being Sean Connery to being George Lazenby. <laughs> yeah, he's, so. like, he's like, oh, this isn't the James Bond I know. That's, I mean, a, that's a different double. Well, it, so. it was a different Blofeld, too. So <laughs> technically, they never have met. Um, uh, like you mentioned, by the way, George Lazenby is still alive. And I have his net worth. So uh, let's let's take a guess at George Lazenby's net worth. Uh, the only thing I can say is that he's got that sweet, sweet Australian model money because I don't, I don't know. So, uh, Craig, why don't you go first? Uh, as the 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 guy who gave up being Bond and threw away his uh, uh, the fortune he would get from that, I'm going to guess his net worth is thirty seven dollars and a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, LPJ, what do you think? I'll say I'll say two million dollars because residuals are pretty great. All right, and finally, Swings. Well, he's got that sweet, sweet Gettysburg money. <laughs> Apparently, he was in the movie Gettysburg. I don't know why, as an Aussie, but whatever. Uh, I'm you're like, sp- you're like, you're like. Listen, he can play a British super spy as an Aussie, <laughs> but he can't play someone who fought in the Civil War. That I don't buy. He was, he was fighting for like the really South. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The, the down under South. Yeah. Um, I'll say, yeah, it, it's still a Bond movie. His name's tied to it. He had the international fame. I'll bet you he's got like $10 million. $20 million. Hey, wow. <laughs> yeah, so. A far that... cry from my $37 and a ham sandwich. <laughs> Listen, being being Bond means a lot, which have, have any of you watched his documentary on Hulu, Becoming Bond? No. No. Really? I have None not. None of no. you? Oh, it's a good watch. It's about an hour long. Yeah, it's a Hulu documentary, maybe from 2018. And it's just like a biography of George Lesenby. And he's in the whole thing. He is a goofy motherfucker. But uh, it's highly entertaining. Friend, friend of the podcast, uh, The Tush, he mentioned it to us. But I just I didn't have time to get a viewing of it in before we recorded. So I, be- yeah. I might check it out, though. Do you guys know how he became Bond, then? Can I ask? I uh, I. I read it, but okay. I read about it, but please, somebody tell the story. Yeah, I, it, it's pretty wild. He he was a model in Australia, as we found out, and his agent's like, hey, they're looking for a new James Bond. Like, you should go to London and find out if that can be something for you. So he shows up, and he doesn't have, like, an interview set up, but he hunts down Sean Connery's tailor, and he ends up taking Sean Connery's unused Bond suit and he wears it. And then he hunts down James Bond's or Sean Connery's barber and gets himself the Sean Connery James Bond haircut. He goes to Eon Studios. He waits for when the secretary is like not looking and he just like bolts right past her, walks into Saltman's, the producer's door and is like, I'm here to be Bond. And apparently they were like so impressed that they gave him a legit screening. They're like, we need to see you like fight. So they did this whole like practice routine with fighting. He accidentally like knocked a guy out because he has no acting experience whatsoever. And Saltzman's like, you got the job. You're Bond after they gave the guy a bloody lip. (laughs) So he just, he literally walked off the street and was like, I want to be Bond. And they're like, okay. 
<laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say right now they should have uh, screen tested a few more people. <laughs> so you don't like him as Bond? I think he does a good job, to be honest. I like him as Bond. He I just... would say. Oh, go ahead. I will say that I think that he is uh, probably a better literary Bond than Sean Connery or Roger Moore are. I think that he. I think if given a few more movies he would have probably become a very good Bond. I think that for his very first outing, yeah, there's a few rocky things here and there. Like, some of his acting isn't perfect. Uh, some of the fight scenes are kind of like, and I think this is more on the cinematography, but, like, I feel they're like... They're shot kind of, weird, right? Yeah, they're yeah. shot really weird. Like, which is bizarre. Fine, but... Yeah, which is bizarre because the director, Peter Hunt was the editor for all the previous Bond movies. So you feel like he would do a better job editing... But now, you think. they are bizarre scenes. They are weird. But but keep in mind, I would say, I don't know, a fifth of, um, a fifth of uh, uh, Lazenby's acting is some other guy dubbing over his voice for when he's in that yeah. costume. So yeah, when he's yeah. Sir Hillary. Yeah, when he's Sir Hillary, it's not even him. It's him yeah. going through the motions, but it's not even him acting. He didn't, didn't. He didn't know that until the premiere, too. When he oh, said really? at the premiere, he's like, "Fuck, they they dubbed my voice." <laughs> I I and I, I and you know we're gonna cover this more, but I will just say that I, I tend to agree with Craig on this. I just think that like the sample size is so small. Like I don't see how you could see good or bad either way. Like I I I I wouldn't be like, oh, he's the worst Bond ever. But also, like, I wouldn't be like, oh, he's secretly one of the best. And it's like, how can you tell he made one movie? Like, you can't, like, I just don't feel I, like with Bond, like, you got to have at least a couple movies. Even T. Daltz had two movies, so you kind of, like, got an idea. I just feel like you can't really make a judgment call with just one movie for a Bond. So I agree. I feel like the, the question I asked is, did he do a good job? I didn't ask if he was a good Bond. <laughs> Because technically you're right. Like it's a small sample size, but I mean, does he act the part of James Bond? I think he does. Yeah, I think he's fine. I mean, he's not. Yeah, he's not terrible. He's not great. He's you know, he's a first time Bond. I mean, yeah, first time actress. This is literally his first movie. Yeah, ever. he's he's fine. You know. Yeah, I, I, he's, I, I'm he's with fine Joe though. Movie. I'm with Joe. He, he's. Maybe I'm kind of with both of you, but I don't think he did a bad job. But you're right. There's not a whole lot to go on. I mean, especially yeah. with, like I said, that dubbing thing. It's not like it's even all him. You know You know what's funny? The dubbing thing is that I didn't even realize that until I was do- doing my notes. And I was like, wow. I was like, he's, too, he's really doing a whole character performance for this part of the movie. Like, I, And then like when I was preparing my notes, I was like, oh, he, he didn't even, he wasn't doing that voice. So that, it's that funny. I didn't. I didn't know that his voice was dubbed, but now that you say it, it's like, oh, that's why it felt off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was, I was like, man, Lazenby's really doing some really, like he's doing some great character work with this professor character. It's like, oh, it, was, it wasn't him. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, do we want to talk about the music now? Yes. Yeah, well, we met, we met Peter R. Hunt, you mentioned, was a director, yeah. right? Just to clarify. So, yes. Yeah, it's his, it, the only Bond movie he ever directs. Um, and like I said, he had been the editor for all the Connery films leading up to this movie. Yeah. So it was. It, it's interesting because we've already mentioned it. But, yeah, like the editing in this movie is a little bizarre. I wonder if it's just – I mean, he says in interviews that he was looking to do something different for Bond in terms of how he shot the movie. 
but it, it is kind of bizarre how some of the fighting scenes are and I mean the a lot of the things. scenes I think are well done. It's just that it for some reason the fight scenes like cut away really fast and like it flashes almost and it's like I know and that, there's a lot of speed know, ramping too. They they a lot of speed ramping, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just weird. Yep. But anyways, the music. We're going to talk about the music, right, LBJ? Yeah, Sphinx, I think you wanted to bring up a point about the music for this particular movie. Yeah, so I think that the music in this film is phenomenal. Um, We're going to start off with the main theme first, and maybe we'll just give it a listen first before I kind of add my two cents to it. So here is the main theme to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's a theme that we hear kind of throughout the whole movie. Like it, it pops up in different places. And if I remember correctly, it's in other Bond movies as well. It shows up, I believe. It gets referenced throughout other films. Absolutely. And it's because the sound, this entire score was done by John Barry. Right. So John Barry famously does, you know, he wrote the James Bond theme. Um, but a lot of, you know, he doesn't do every soundtrack for the Bond movies, but he was responsible for doing this entire one. And I, this is my hot take. I think I like this song better than the famous James Bond theme. I don't know. This song is awesome. It's like got a cool driving beat. I love the horns and that great guitar and bass. Doom, 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 doom. I don't know. This song is, I love it. It's one of my favorite themes in any movie. I... I have a hard time telling you you're wrong. It's a good beat. Like, it's really great. It is solid. I, I, I mean, I think that it's certainly the, 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 the traditional James Bond 007 theme uh, is, is certainly more iconic. But, but this is a really good one. John Barry, I mean, he always does a great job with all the Bond movies, I would say. But, yeah, this one's really good. Yeah, because there's a part later on in the theme, too, where he gets the whole strings going on, and then there's, like, a breakdown. Like, it, it's a good – it's, like, a two-and-a-half-minute song. There's a lot more to it, too. Like, there's, there's a lot that he did to the song, which actually we're going to get a little taste of – a little bit more of the theme because we now have uh, famously uh, the, the music during the ski chase scene. Yep. Uh, and it borrows heavily from the main theme. So this is um, a little – piece from the ski chase.
Yeah, I mean it's it's almost like um almost like a remix of of the theme oh. itself and then it gets into that that kind of swirling melody and it mm-hmm. feels like snow like it feels like a winter version of that song. Yeah. Which I it, I I noticed it rewatching it this time around. This is the first time Bond is skiing, which he famously has skied in a lot of movies. Yeah. But this was the first movie he actually skis. There's good ski chases in this movie. That I mean, it's it's maybe a little long, but I agree. Like for filming in 1969, they did a pretty good job with the ski scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when does Bond learn how to surf? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Not until die another day. <laughs> and our last song that we have for you is uh, a classic near the very end of Louis Armstrong's career. Uh, he's thrown in here to sing We Have All the Time in the World. We have all the time in the world Time enough for life All the precious things love has in store We have all the love in the world If that's all we have, you will find We need nothing more And, and that is, I would say, one of the more iconic classic Bond end themes. Yeah, Louis Armstrong is probably one of my favorite musicians ever anyway. Uh, so this song is definitely up there for me as far as Bond themes go. He was sick when he recorded it, too. Like, he was super sick. So he did one take, and that was it. So that's that's the one take we got right there. That's all Louis needs. That's all Louis <laughs> needs. He's a jazz artist. He can do it. Come on. Um, so anything uh, before we get into the plot of this, anything else anyone wants to mention at all? Uh, when, uh-oh. <laughs> Sphinx? I will say very quickly. So the, the James Bonding podcast, which I'm sad they no longer do it anymore, um, one of the hosts, I can't remember which one it was, um, they actually visited the the site of Blofeld's headquarters in the movie, yeah. uh, Piz Gloria, and apparently it is like a huge tourist attraction uh, in the Swiss Alps today. So even though the movie is like 52 years ago, um, apparently people still flock to this building that is literally setting on top of a mountain in the Alps. And it is a rotating restaurant like we see in the scene. Um, And actually the bottom floor is a whole museum uh, devoted to the movie and the filming of the movie. And from what the host said, he says it is an awesome thing to see. He says it's gorgeous. They, they do a great job with the the bond fanatics, you know, that can enjoy it. Um, It's, it's really somewhere I would love to go and kind of see it to be honest. I thought that was kind of cool. I'd go. <laughs> it's planet right now. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bail on the trip. I mean, it sounds cool, but it <laughs> sounds pretty expensive to just see this thing from, you know. But you well, I would do, I would do other things in Switzerland. I'm not just gonna go and see the Bond thing. Nope, uh, we're only going for Bond, <laughs> and then we leave. All right, well, s- send me some pictures then. Um, okay, let's get into the plot of this. We will try and expedite the plot of this enormously long movie and maybe not get into the minutiae of every scene. Well, I'll, I'll say, like, I'll help you out here, Hovercraft Joe, because I know we're probably 30 minutes into this episode at least already. 36. 36. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. So it, half of this movie is just a love story. And yeah. I think that that's where there's a huge difference in, in this being, you know, what we see out of a normal Bond movie. You know, leading up to this movie, you've got the craziness of Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, you know, Broccoli and Saltzman, the producers, they're just ramping up the intensity of Bond. And then they just go to a love story? Like, it definitely has a very, very different tone of any Bond movie out of all 25 of them. And it's, that such, come a out. Weird, it's such a weird choice to make introducing a new Bond and then completely flipping the script on what people's expectations are for a Bond movie. Like, it seems like such a counterproductive thing for them to do that and not maybe put a new Bond in, but keep the formula essentially the same. I'm kind of glad that they mixed it up. I, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the Sean Connery movies, but you know, they're not all perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And so I'm glad that they were like, Let's just take the novel, run with it, and see what happens. And I think that we get a, uh, like, like you guys have said, a, a very different Bond movie, especially compared to what has you know, come before it. I would argue that we don't really see another Bond movie like this until maybe like the Timothy Dalton movies, where you know it's a little more intense. And uh, one of the things that I really got to give the movie credit for is I felt very anxious and tense during some of the scenes in the movie. Like when Bond is trying to escape from the, the Blofeld fortress and he's like diving in between like people in the crowd. And like, you know, he knows that if they catch him, he's dead and a billion people are going to die. And he, there's just so much intensity going on that it like kind of made me nervous watching it. And you don't get that with a lot of Bond movies. And I really appreciated that. I I agree. Bond is very vulnerable in this movie, Mm -hmm. whereas Sean Connery took the role of Bond and made him almost like a superhuman. You know, like Bond never really got himself into a a real terrible situation um, that he was like scared for his life. Like, I don't feel that from those last few Bond movies. I feel like when, when Bond fights Oddjob and Goldfinger, like, that's the last time there's any real emotion of being scared out of Sean Connery. And so it, it does. It, you, you, you feel for Bond. You know, he's being chased down the damn mountain. He's hiding, you know, from all these people on Christmas Eve. He has no weapon on him, and he's being hunted, essentially. Like, it is a very different Bond that we're experiencing here. And one with a heart, because he's fallen in love. Yeah, I, I would it doesn't say the bond either, right? The bond, the Sean Connery bond we know is raping women in the hay in a barn and just going for it. Whereas Lesenby's not quite that way. I mean, he's still 
still misogynistic and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a womanizer. But yeah, he's, he's fallen in love. And I think that, uh, 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 to your guys' point, if I were, if, like, I was given Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and it was like, okay, Craig, trim off what you don't need. Love Story stays. Blofeld stuff stays. Like, a, a lot of stuff is staying. The only thing that, in hindsight, now that I've watched it, you know, just recently, I'm thinking, like, you know, what was all that necessary about is the, uh, the like, the Angels of Death. Like, I, I get that they're a part of Blofeld's plan, but, like, why did he really, aside from the fact that it's in the novel, why did he need a group of sexy women to go spread the virus stuff around? Like, I think that that probably could have been trimmed down a bit, uh, Joe. I, 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 I legit was hoping one of you, I mean, because we're, 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 we're going to talk about this kind of just flowingly, but yeah. somebody, and I'm a little dense, but somebody explained to me Blofeld's plot. And how it incorporates those women. Just like explain to me what it is and what his goal was. I, I love feel that like you bring make, this up. I feel like they make a they make a big deal out of it, and then they're like, it, I, "I don't know." Like, so maybe someone could explain it to me. I love that well. you bring this up because it's a similar problem to what you and I have for the new movie. Yes, and I'm not going to say any more than that. So, Joe. The uh, Blofeld's plan is that he is, you know, has has produced this, you know, uh, you know, bacteria or virus or whatever that's going to make living things infertile, and he's go- basically using that to, you know, hold the world ransom. Okay, but also, yeah, uh, but also. He's a uh, simp, and he was like, hey, look at all those hot girls, and decided that he wanted a bunch of attractive women to be the ones that spread it, rather than just, I don't know, drop it from a bomb, have <laughs> random thugs implement it. He, he, he's like, he's like, I really want to get into hypnosis in a room that has, like, 20 different cassette players that I had to keep hitting play on at different points. <laughs> Sounds like my sound setup at home. <laughs> It is. Craig nails it. That really, like, even in the book, like, that was kind of the goal was to use the hypnosis on the girls to release this virus that would make everything on planet Earth, like, sterile. Um, So he was going to hold the world ransom for it. Like, that was the whole plan. I mean, the. And just like in the movie, the book, it takes, like, almost the entire book to finally figure out, oh, this was the plan. Which I agree, it's not a ton to go on, but I mean, hey, it as far as super villainy goes, I'm going to make all of the world infertile and make everything go extinct. That's fucked. And you know what? Kudos for the the super villain points there. The fact that he needs this very hyper specific hypnotized group of attractive women from around the world to do it, uh, strikes me as Blofeld being like. What is the group of people <laughs> that can implement this plan for me that are very susceptible to the charms of my immortal enemy? That's I was gonna say, just... or, or what? What can I use that I can also bang all these people with? So, yeah, I, I will say Blofeld this, is the, definitely in all of those girls' the, beds. This movie, point. this movie does posit that Blofeld is very horny because, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. he has all these women, and then, like, when he kidnaps. 
uh, Tracy, he's like immediately hitting on her and being oh, like, oh, you, yeah. you can be my countess. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's classic, you know, super villainy stuff. You, you try to force the hero's girl to like you. It's going <laughs> to fail because it always does, but you got to try it when you're a super villain. It's just how it goes. It's It's the law. So, so with the love story for Bond, trying to connect it to Blofeld's scheme, it, it's essentially the idea that like Bond is trying to find Blofeld. After you only live twice, you know, Blofeld escapes. We were led to believe that Bond is still trying to chase after Blofeld. So Tracy is the daughter of uh, a leader of a big crime syndicate in Europe. So they accidentally run into each other. Um, and then Bond essentially is saying like, yeah, I'll date your daughter if you can give me some information about where Blofeld is. So that's kind of how the connection ends up happening. It just so happens that while the original part of going out with Tracy was to get information about Blofeld, he ends up falling in love with her along the way. I don't so. get that whole thing. Like, why does the gangster whose name escapes me at this Draco. Draco Draco yeah why does why is Draco so hell bent on getting specifically Bond to date his daughter? Well, I think I think it's just because um, he, she's like a wild child and she's very rebellious, and I think he because like Bond like kind of like when they met before he bet up beat up those guys and like he just like. I guess probably heard from his men. It's like, oh yeah, he kind of like has a thing with her and maybe he has a way. Of... I mean, it's not good because basically he's like, Hey, I think you could control my daughter and get her yeah. to stop be a free thinker and just marry you and settle down. Like the <laughs> thing about really what he's saying is terrible to think of like in the age we live in, but that's essentially what it is. I mean, cause he does like smack her around a little bit too. Oh yeah. Like, so, uh -huh. so I think it's just like, I mean, I think that's it, but that, no, that's exactly what it is. Is he he thinks Bond can can control her and can calm her down because she's like a wild spirit. Like he can't control her. So from what he's seen Bond do for her, he thinks that Bond is going to be the one to to level her off and and whatever. Bad parenting, either way. I mean, <laughs> oh, you know, totally. it's, it's not great parenting. I'll, uh, I'll also, I don't like that guy because when Bond goes to his lair and he makes him, which by the way, like this, like I. Throughout the course, like, I'm really into mixology now. This is just a side note. So I notice really in these movies, like, whenever Bond orders a drink, they make it way faster than even, like, a professional, like, bar. Like, they make, like, when they, she comes back to that martini so fast, that there's no way you can make a martini that fast. I'm sorry. Listen, even <laughs> Huffercraft Joe, you can't complain the movie's that long, but then complain also <laughs> that you want the drink to take longer to get yeah. there. Yeah, do you want to add time to the movie, Huffercraft Joe? Is that what you're telling us? Also, I was, but what I was really upset is that uh, Draco just gets a glass of Campari, which is like a like an Amaro. It's like a really bitter like liqueur that you super like, bitter. And, yeah, so like I can't imagine drinking like if you've ever had a Negroni, like it has Campari and it's very overwhelming. You get the bitterness, so just to drink a glass of it is crazy to me. But anyways, sorry. Uh, I just oh, I have I, a, spe I have a I specific like information. I have a specific note that says, "Dude, just drink a Campari." Gross. <laughs> <laughs> um. So here's something I find interesting about this movie, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at no point is anything Bond doing 
sanctioned by the British government. Like he he's not once working with the like he like Q's in this movie. He doesn't get any gadgets or anything from Q. He doesn't get any orders. The only stuff he gets from M is like stop stop doing this. (laughs) Like he tells him not to look for Blofeld anymore. And then once Blofeld has Tracy and is blackmailing the world, they're like, well, they're just gonna pay him off. So just like let it be. And so that that to me is like kind of a fascinating little thing about this movie is that he not once is doing anything that the British government wants him to do. Yeah, Even and- the beginning of the beginning of this movie is like M's like we gotta find Bond. We don't know where he is. <laughs> He's just like driving around. He fights those guys on the beach. Um, that opening scene, like this movie, has a more serious tone. In some ways, it has a more serious tone. In some ways, it doesn't. Uh, but like, what what do you think? Like, I get it, but don't you think it's kind of weird the very like fourth wall breaking when like she <laughs> oh, yeah. when, when like he rescues he rescues Tracy from the beach and then she just like takes off and leaves him and he goes, "This never happened to the other fellow." I hated it. I hated the fourth <laughs> wall break. I, I fucking hated it. It's 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 like it's bad i think like it's i mean it's funny but also it's like it seems so out of place so the story behind it so the beginning of the movie is the last scene they filmed and so throughout the filming lesenby kept saying that off camera he kept saying this never happened to the other fella now to add it into the actual movie it's a bold move cotton (laughs) But, you know, knowing the story behind it and the fact that that was literally the last scene they filmed in the movie, like, it's like, okay, that's that's kind of funny. But it it definitely does not have a place. It does not work. Also, circling back to Draco wanting Bond to marry his daughter, I have, like, three notes that say, man, this guy really wants Bond to bone his daughter some more. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he knows that Bond boned boned her earlier, you know? And and he's like, that's okay. I know what you had to do. I know you had to fuck her. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I I know that you bailed her out at the casino, and, you know, then you decided to have sex with her. I'm okay with that. So Bond's kind of intrigued by Tracy. He he slightly agrees to like meet the because he wants to get the information about Blofeld. They find this information where they're like, oh, he has a connection to this lawyer in Switzerland. So he goes, he breaks into the lawyer's office. He gets information from the safe in that, that safe cracking machine, which is also a photocopier? Question mark. Um, hey, all of that was the you, know you know what? Because Limited he, space. Because he uses it to crack the safe, which is pretty cool. But then he's going to make copies of the documents, so he just feeds it into there. Also, he casually pulls out that Playboy. <laughs> like, I get it. Okay. And I get that they say it's a reference because, like, the, the excerpts or whatever the novel was originally published in Playboy. So it's, like, a nod to that. But also, like, then he walks out of the lawyer's office with the centerfold and he does it. <laughs> Why not? Pocket. He's fucking Bond. He's like, I'm walking out with this magazine and with all the information. So what, and again, I might need you guys to fact check me on this, but what he gets out of, what he gleans from the information is that Blofeld is trying to get himself legitimized as a count, right? Yeah, So he's, he wants to get all this work done by like the, this professor at this- College geni- of Arms. College of Arms. Yep. Yeah, genealogy. Um, and, and so he, that that's when Bond ultimately impersonates this guy to go and- uh, um, 
investigate Blofeld to pretend to be this guy. Did you guys, I, I do like, do you remember what it said that uh, like the Bond family, like coat of arms, like what it was? The world was? is not enough. The world is, the not, world enough. is not enough. Which yeah. I thought I thought was kind of cool. So, That's where the title of the uh, movie comes from later. Uh, it's from this, of course. Yeah. Um, also, I gotta say, <laughs> before he goes to pretend to be the professor, there's that crazy scene i don't know if it's crazy but like he goes to visit m at m's house because he has his information and m's like really into like butterflies he's like that thing where you put butterflies on the wall and like yeah. of course because that's just how these movies go bond knows everything about butterflies and he just is like oh well this is the blah 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 and i'm like come on he doesn't have to know everything does listen he? all the travel that bond does around the world he probably has read about butterflies at some point right <laughs> Obviously, that's what I would do on an airplane one day is read about butterflies. Guys, this is a a time before the internet. (laughs) You you took what you could get back then, all right? Like, if I was born back then, I'd learn about butterflies too because what the fuck else am I doing? Yeah, I mean, that's why Bond took the Playboy. He was waiting for the safe to crack open. It just so happened that the lawyer had the Playboy. He doesn't have a smartphone to scroll and find his own porn. So he's got to go ahead and and check out the Playboy and take it with him. All right. Should have been the real giveaway that Bond was there. Like, where'd the Playboy go? Shit. Bond. So, <laughs> that's how Blofeld actually found out it was Bond. Is uh, he was missing his Playboys, and he was like, "Bond." So, so Bond goes to pretend to be this professor. Um, who? I'm sorry, I have so many questions. Who was the blonde guy following Bond that whole time? I don't so, know. He is supposed to be the station head for the Secret Service. So they have like station M and station Z and like each letter is a different country around the world. So he's supposed to be station Z for Switzerland. So he's like the head British intelligence guy oh, in Switzerland. You know, you know what? I misspoke too because I do guess this this whole thing about him pretending to be the professor is something that M goes along with. Like this is like a a British secret service like operation, right? Like, because yeah. that's when he finds out about the genealogy thing, that's when he goes to see M and M kind of allows him to do this. Okay. So I was, now, this is, this is one difference from the book because in the book, he, he does stay rogue. Uh, okay. M does not know that he did it. And so this, it would have been a cool scene in the movie when the guy gets caught, he gets tortured and they drop him in front of Bond, and he accidentally reveals Bond to Blofeld. Oh. So he's like, Bond, why are you here? Like, tell them, you know, save me. And Bond's like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Oh, that'd have been great. <laughs> that'd have been an amazing scene. It could have been a cool scene, like, with the anxiety of it, too. Like, oh, shit, he just gave away his cover, but... I was I was I was cracking up when that guy was tailing them in a car when they were in that horse carriage. I'm like, isn't that noticeable <laughs> yeah. that the like that this guy's like following them in a car on the road behind him and they're in a carriage? They definitely could have done a better job in the movie, like setting up that Bond knew the guy. Because like we find out about it later when he's like, Ah, you British agents are always, you know, dying in the mountains. Like, okay, yeah, that's you know, makes things tense. We know that Bond's in trouble again. But like, you know, before then, it's like, yeah, who's the blonde dude? I was so confused. And I'm like, why is he so determined to see what's going on with Bond? I did not get it. Um, 
<laughs> so this Bond is, is Bond's Bond, right? He ends up sleeping with as many of these girls as he can. Yeah, <laughs> and you know the the gig is up. One day he sneaks into one of their rooms, and Irma Bunt is in there and throws some sort of like Joker powder at him, and he passes out. Uh, that scene did kind of scare me. I'm not gonna lie. When yeah. it was Irma, like I so thought it was gonna be the other girl, and so when it's Irma, there's just this flash of motion. I was like, oh shit. Uh, I we I think we'd be remiss. I don't. I, I my note doesn't remind me, but he makes a joke about having a boner because I know he says something oh, yeah. about stiffness. Because my yeah. note just says stiffness. A boner joke? Question mark. I can't remember. I think it's when that girl's like writing the the on it on the inside of his leg with her lipstick. Yeah. Um. So this is where so when he passes out and he wakes up, Blofeld talks to him and he's all like, "Hey, like now we know your bond." Which I don't know how he knows he's actually Bond. I mean, he says, like, you know, you messed up in their interview. Because he was talking about how his ancestors were buried in one church. And it was actually a different church. But how he knew then that he was James Bond, I don't know if that actually ever He remembered that he saw him in his volcano (laughs) stronghold. And he was like, oh, right, James, I'm sorry. That's right. So James, you know, he gets thrown into this, like, machine room where the... What do you call that thing? Like a ski wait, lift, wait, I guess? Can I, can Tram? I just... I, can I just Tram? I, and I'm Uh-oh. sorry. I don't mean to slow down the process, but I really... I, I would feel bad if I didn't bring up the fact that, like, he's there pretending to be the professor, right? Correct. But then at one point they show him in the room actually doing genealogy yes. research. Yeah. Like, he's got the books. I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? Bob does not know how to do genealogy research. In like, the book, he does it too. There's like <laughs> several pages in the book. It's like, oh, here I am at the desk. I have to put on this show and make sure I know what the hell I'm talking about. It's like, I, Really? I also have a note that says, of course, Bond figures out how to get out of a locked room so he can get laid. <laughs> For sure, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, it, absolutely. But you're right. They throw him in kind of like the gear room for like the tram that like goes up and down. Yep. like to the. Which, by the way, in that scene when he's trying to get out of there, like, why is that tram like constantly? Like, who are they shepherding up and down the mountain? It's like every two it's seconds. It's the middle of the night, too. Yeah, yeah, it's like the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, God, we forgot something. All right, let's go back down. Yeah. So, so he ends up yeah. So he escapes and that's where we have our first James Bond ski scene. Yeah. I love that he uh, finds like a full fitting ski suit to put on too. <laughs> like yeah. he finds You're all good. the appropriate gear. I I also like and I have this in my notes that he he gets all that stuff out and he like he goes to see, he's immediately spotted as soon as he starts oh, skiing yeah. on that yeah. mountain. He doesn't like couldn't he be a little more stealthier? He gets caught immediately. <laughs> and then I like how everybody in the damn place chases him. Even Blofeld put Puts on a hat and goggles and is like, let's go. Blofeld chasing him is hilarious. It's like, wait a minute. The the villain of all Bond villains is on skis trying to chase down Bond? Okay. This is a weird aside, but was anybody else really distracted by Tully Savalas' missing finger? He has a missing finger? <laughs> yeah, he's part of his finger is missing. Oh, I never noticed. That's why, that's why uh, so like when he holds a cigarette, that's why he holds it weird in one of his hands. He holds that cigarette so fucking weird. I always wondered why yeah, that he's was. Missing a, I, I he's missing know. part of his finger. I did not notice that. I always, yeah, I, didn't notice. Ten, I always pay attention to the earlobes because that was part of the Blofeld thing is that you don't have earlobes. And Terry Savalas doesn't have earlobes. So I was like, okay, so I always look at those. Yeah, but. well, yeah, Terry Savalas is missing a finger. So that's why he's holding the cigarette weird. So they, they have that ski chase, and you guys are right. Like, it, it is it, – the ski chase is 
is pretty fun. Although I think it's kind of lame when he loses a ski and he's somehow still able to ski perfectly with just one ski. Yeah. Um, and also I find it odd because at one point he gets like the big steep like drop off and he like he like throws that guy off the side and they show that guy falling like in real time. Like oh, they, yeah. I, I <laughs> laughed really hard at that. <laughs> like such a long shot of this guy falling and eventually hitting the bottom. <laughs> I was like, it was Why like, it was very roadrunner esque. Yes, it was. All you needed was like a puff of smoke to come up yeah. afterwards. It was also interesting when the guy fell in the snowblower and you fucking see chunks oh, of God. human body. Like, that's pretty that gruesome was, well, for a Bond that, movie. That, that was the second ski, <laughs> ski chase. That's not this ski yeah. chase. So oh, that's he, true. So they have that. So he gets down to the town. They have that scene you're talking about where he's in the crowd and they're all chasing him. He runs into Tracy, who's there just ice skating. And I was like, what the fuck is she doing here? I was very confused. Draco tells her to keep yes, an eye the, the, on him. They, yeah. they cover it. But at yeah, first yeah. I was like, what's he doing here? So I also find it hilarious that super spy James Bond, they're sneaking out of there. They get in the car. Dude doesn't even fucking duck down in the car. He just sits there and they back up and the guy spots him and they chase him in the car. It's like, why were you just sitting there like with his coat pulled up a little bit like looking? I'm like, come on. Bond, Bond is very, very human in this movie. Like, like uh, Sphinx was saying. Sean Connery depicts Bond as like this Superman who can do everything. Hold on, and oh, don't you yeah, defend yeah, this? Hold on, yeah, don't, don't, don't defend my statement because I agree with Hovercraft Joe. He was a fucking idiot for not hiding oh. under the car. Oh no! Like the yeah, human being would have had common sense to be like, I probably shouldn't show my face on the passenger side of this vehicle. He looks straight so at the guy. So he's like, like backing up into the bot, the bad guy's vehicle. <laughs> I didn't say he wasn't stupid. I'm just saying that it's a very much more human than we've previously seen Bond be in the movies. Well, and, and I will agree with you on that, but this is very much a continuation of all those other movies, so he just got stupid in this movie? Like, he was really smart in, like, The Terminator, and then this movie, he's like, duh, I'm dumb, I'm gonna look at this guy. I don't know. So, there, it turns into a car chase. They end up on, like, a, a racetrack. <laughs> Which I actually, I legitimately like this scene where they're in. It was it's fun. really fun. It's is, fun. Is this in the book? No. Because <laughs> no, they end no. up at some the, kind of like. The, the derby race is not in the book. A derby race in the snow. It's kind of fun. Uh, they end up getting away. What's uh, actually they, better. I think the, the book is fun. In the book, he they get far enough ahead. He changes the sign to go from one direction to the other direction, and it for and the car goes right off the embankment and crashes down into the mountain. So they cooler. they yeah. end up getting away after they they go around this demolition or this derby thing. Uh, they get caught in a snowstorm, so they take shelter in some like random barn. Uh, Bond is like, "Oh, I'm going to quit being an agent. I want you to to marry me." Uh, they're like, well, but we'll wait till the wedding night to have sex. Which I'm like, didn't you have sex already? But anyways, then they end up having sex again anyways. <laughs> and, and he makes the decision, literally, for a two and a half hour movie, he decides, no, I'm going to fuck her. Within three seconds, I think, he like he puts her up in, his, in her part of the bed. And he's like, okay, I'm going to leave you there. We're going to yeah. wait until the honeymoon. And it's like, one, two, three, and he's like, oh, I have this stick. I'm going to bring your ass down and we're going to yeah. bone. <laughs> so, he's like, it's, it's cool. If we just do ass stuff, it doesn't count, right? 
<laughs> so here and here here's where I have Jesus. another question. Here's where I have another question for you. So they get so like the next shot is the morning and like <laughs> Blofeld and his guys were they skiing all night? Like how did they they just they they cut to the next morning and they are like outside this barn skiing and it's like first of all they, they drove, be fucking tired. They drove a long distance in the car. So like, well, she also, ran out of gas. She ran out of gas. I'll give her that. So it may not have been that far. Yeah, but yeah, but still, but, like, but no, I was that snow. So how would they know they, where they were? Did, and how did they track him at all in the blizzard that was going on? Agreed. I don't know. I was so confused. My note literally, I, my note literally says, "I'm confused." Have Blofeld, Blofeld and his men been skiing all night? I just love the idea that it's like all of his goons coming up to him, and they're like, "We're tired and hungry." And Blofeld's like, "We're not going home until we find that secret agent." Now get out there. How is right. that? How is this covered in the book? Um, it is covered that once once the car goes off the embankment, he's not chased anymore. So they do run out of gas, but they they find a gas station, and he goes to the airport, and he fucking goes to London, and he's like, "It's time to go. Like, we got to go back and take Blofeld down." Oh. So, and he propose the proposal's way better in the movie because he just proposes to her in the car when he's about to hop on the airplane. He's like, oh. "Hey, babe, like, let's get married," and she's like, "Okay," and then he's like, "All right, I'm going to London. See you later." So I will say my note Can says, I- "Oh, go ahead." I was just going to say, before we get to the second ski chase, my note says, more skiing. Feels like the 18th ski chase in this movie. It, it is. It, they're good chases, but they are a little long. They yeah. are good. Um, and, and I like the first one, but I just think it was odd that they were like, oh, maybe another ski scene. I don't know. I... The 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 henchman falling into the uh, snow plow thing and just like turning into like pink mist. At first, I was like, "Oh shit, that's rad!" And then he's like, "Oh, that man had a lot of guts." And yeah, it's like, he, oh, "Okay, you you've lost it." He, had, I, I like say what you want about Lazy Beast's performance. He does not. He, I don't. Him delivering the Bond one-liners no. does not work at does all. Because he, he has Agreed. another one coming up. It's just as bad. But I literally am like. He had a lot of guts. I'm like grown, like because yeah. I, I, I true was like, like Craig. I was like, oh man, that's like crazy violent for a James Bond movie to have this thing shooting up like blood and guts. It was and great. The, the line ruins it for me. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. I also really like it that after a really long night of skiing trying to find Bond, uh, Blofeld sends three people after Bond, and then he decides to shoot the flare gun. To cause the avalanche, he knew those people were going to their death. And he's oh, like, yeah. "You three, go on ahead. Don't worry, I'm yeah. not going to do anything." Yeah, and Bond and Bond and Tracy seemingly get caught in the same avalanche as those guys, and they're not dead. They're both fine, but the, yeah. those guys are dead. Blofeld thinks Bond is dead, which is weird. Like, why does he when when Blofeld realizes that Tracy is still alive? Why would he assume that Bond is dead then? When he just his binoculars he only sees tracy uh and just assumes bond's it yes you should probably assume that james bond is alive when you're a supervillain this is my supervillain pointer for all of our listeners out there when you think james bond is dead he's not dead he's gonna fuck up your plans make sure he's dead so he 
Blofeld takes Tracy with him for unknown reasons. Oh, you um, know why. Uh, yeah, that's true. He does. He's horny. He's a um, creep. <laughs> so, so Bond is alive. He gets back and uh, he's talking with M and M's like, yeah, uh, he's blackmailing the world and they're like, just going to pay it. So don't go and monkey with anything. I, we don't care. Your personal affairs aren't any concern of ours. We don't care how you feel about her. So he goes and gets Draco uh, to help him, and they fly in on some helicopters. There's a li- I feel like there's a lot of monkey business with them, like, pretending to be Red Cross helicopters. Oh, it comes yeah. up, like, it, it's maybe, like, one little thing, but then, like, there's a yeah. jet there, and they have to explain. Anyways, big fight out. Big fight out. Big fight in Blofeld's hideout. Yeah, shootout. Um, there's a guy who's randomly just torching people with a blowtorch. <laughs> I, I love the flamethrower. <laughs> uh, the guy is awesome. I also a, love when Bond like shows up and he's like like sliding and sliding, and sliding, with, sliding with the machine gun on the ice. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that, that is cool. sweet. So he's going after Blofeld. Um, I like how they, they they there's that whole scene where he like he pulls up the map of all like the brainwashed women and he's like taking pictures. Like, why you're blowing up the place anyways? I don't know yeah. why he was taking the pictures. But anyways, uh, that's when like he's chasing after Blofeld and they have the place rigged to blow. And Tracy wants to go back and she's like, I'm not leaving without Bond. And that's when her dad punches her in the face and knocks he her out. Cold coxer. Yeah, he yeah, does. He's right he's... in the jaw. Yeah, and knocks her out and puts her on the helicopter. Uh, I, I, I feel like you, you definitely didn't need to do that. But Bad parenting. <laughs> That's so, what you did. Bad so the, parenting. So the place blows up, and then, like, regardless of how well executed it is, I will say it sounds insane to be like, so the final chase in this movie is on bobsleds. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, Bob, Bob chases Blofeld on bobsleds. It's like a tongue twister. That you and, can't say seven and, times And listen, fast. I've seen cool runnings. It seems awfully fucking difficult to drive a bobsled, let alone drive a bobsled and try to murder someone. But also, it seems like they do it pretty damn easily. I also like safety first, how they both have time to put, to put on, on a helmet home. and gloves. And like, like they're getting all prepped and ready to go, even though you're being chased. Also, why is one bobsled able to catch up to another bobsled? Like, why is his faster? Anyway, so they have a fight. I mean, it is kind of cool. Like, uh, this is another thing where, like, the timing of grenades is very confusing because Blofeld has a grenade, drops it, but is able to fumble around and pick it up and not have it go off in his bobsled. Um, This is the line because, like, they're fighting on the one and he, like, lifts him up and he gets stuck in, like, a tree branch and Bond says he branched off. To nobody in particular. There's nobody there. Like, he just says it to himself. Yeah, that line isn't great. I mean, the, the fight scene itself is actually kind of neat. Like, the bobsled. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't yeah. think it would work, but, like, it's tense. Like, you you want why, Bond to get It is get a good Blofeld. fight. Why, why doesn't he go back, like, after and, like, get Blofeld or check on him or something? He makes it to For the, the end. the same reason <laughs> that Blofeld was like, ah, he's, he's dead. He, he fell in an avalanche. <laughs> Bond looks back and he's like, he got his neck snapped. Dude's dead. I'm done. So this will be my last mention of the book. But in the book, Blofeld throws the grenade and it blows up the track. And Bond gets hit by the grenade and gets hurt. And Blofeld, he never catches Blofeld. He escapes. Oh, well, it should have been. And this one, Blofeld gets stuck in a tree. Bond <laughs> makes it to the end of the track. Uh, St. Bernard shows up, and he's like, Ha, huh, enough of that. Bring the brandy, old chap. Yeah, yeah that's pretty crappy. But the uh, uh, earlier you brought up how Blofeld is in a neck brace. 
uh, in uh, what oh, is it? Oh, and uh, for your yeah. eyes only. It's because of this. You see him yeah. in a neck brace at the very end of this movie. But he's not in a neck brace in the entire movie Diamonds Are Forever, and that's in between. <laughs> I never said they did a good job with continuity. I'm just saying that they're trying to do a good job with continuity. Um, so Maybe, maybe, so maybe, it, was like other... a, maybe it was like a flare-up. Oh so, yeah, maybe. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're like, it's like, ah, my my uh, bobsled, my bobsled neck's really bugging me today. I better, <laughs> ah, I better bust out the neck brace. It was raining earlier. I better uh, yeah. get the neck brace. It's it's killing that, me. That thirteen year old bobsled accident that fucking Bond did to me is really acting up again. So so the end of the movie, it's Bond and Tracy's wedding. They get married. They drive off in the car together. Uh, it's all decorated in flowers, and then they're like, oh man, we better stop and get these flowers off the car which is a mistake. And then like Blofeld and uh, what's her name? Uh, the, yeah, the Austin Powers lady, uh, <laughs> they drive by. They just, well, th- th- like this movie uh, it's yeah. Anyways. Um, so they drive by cause they know where Bond's wedding is and apparently know his honeymoon route. And she's got a machine gun and like straight fires and Bond's like, Oh, that was Blofeld. She's like, we better catch up to him. But Oh, then he realized that Tracy got shot in the head and she's dead, and this movie has, like, the saddest ending ever. She's dead, Bond's crying, like, a police officer comes up, and he's like, oh, she's fine, she's just taking a rest. Oh, and, like, I, and then, like, it's the end of the movie. Like, it's it's yeah. crazy that that's the end. I fucking love the end of this movie. Of course Holy you do. shit, what a payoff. <laughs> like, the, the whole time you're like, you know, Bond doesn't fall in love. This is interesting. And he gets married at the end. Can you imagine seeing this movie back in 1969 and Bond's married and you're like, oh shit, Bond's going to be happy. And like, he's, this is it. Like, this is, we're done. This is like, this is it. And his fucking wife gets killed. Like, holy shit. That is crazy. Well, so I think LPJ knows it. Yeah. And there's, it's not how the movie was supposed to end. No. Yeah, I saw this too. Yeah. Go ahead. That up. scene was supposed to be the opening of the next movie. Yeah. But they that's just, how they were going to open Diamonds Are Forever. Right. With wow. Tracy getting murdered. But they just decided to, because Lazenby. Well, they decided it because Lazenby had said he wasn't going to be bonding. Right. Again, so, so they, they decided, decided to just add to add it to the end and, and make it make it a finale. Which is wild, by the way, because they were like, originally he was considering signing like a seven picture deal. Yeah. And then he's like, nah, I'm only, I'm done. What's also interesting is there's a cut, there's a missed scene um, to go off of what Hovercraft Joe was kind of saying, where Irma Bunt is actually tracking Bond and Teresa, and that's how she's able to find out right. like where the wedding is and where they're going. So I feel like, to Craig's point, though, like I'm happy that scene was cut out because it does act as a pretty good surprise that they get murdered. Like if there was like that she gets murdered because if there was that foreshadowing of Irma like kind of watching Bond, you you would know something bad's going to happen. But instead, like, you do just kind of get sideswiped with it. I, uh, and I gotta say, too, like, uh, uh, George Lacenby's acting when it comes to just regular James Bond. I think he does a pretty good job. He's, you know, he, he's definitely a more literary Bond than what we've previously seen and what we would see. Uh, his, his quippy one-liners are pretty crappily delivered, typically. Uh, but I felt like there was a lot of emotion when she's dead and he's cradling her like George Lazenby did a good job pitching that he was sad like that he was just in shock and distraught 
And uh, uh, the only complaint I really have about that final scene is the fact that uh, it just cuts to the James Bond theme. I really wish it had just cut to the Louis Armstrong theme or a rendition of the We Have All the Time in the World theme. Like, I just feel like there's a jarring difference. I thought it did. I thought the movie ends with Louis Armstrong. No, it ends with silence for a little bit, and then the credits start, and then it gets into the classic James Bond theme. And uh, Craig is right. It is a little jarring because they end on this, like, this moment of, like, shock, and then it's like, ah, it's still a James Bond movie. Like, I didn't watch all the way to the end of the credits, but I wonder if you get the James Bond will return in Diamonds Are Forever or whatever. Like, it just, it it is very weird, though, because, like, basically every Bond movie in existence up until a certain point ends with Bond, like, just, like, taking some girl to the bone zone at the end of the movie and making some kind of, like, pun about it. So this, this one is, it is, um... But I don't know. I'm gonna. I have some other thoughts, but I'm gonna save it for when I give my rating. It, on it has a very Casino Royale feel to this movie. Like I know that Craig mentioned that you felt like this was a lot like a Timothy Dalton movie. This movie reminds me a lot of Casino Royale, and that you know that's the other time Bond's heart got broken was with Vespa. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's the end of the movie. So we made it through. We made it through the plot. Um, I, I. I mean, anything that we didn't cover specifically plot lies or story wise or anything like that, that you guys want to get out in the open before we kind of get into our final thoughts on it. No, I didn't have any role reversals. So no. Uh, um, no, uh, we, we talked about the body in the uh, 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 plow being ripped to shreds. Uh, that, <laughs> that's all I really uh, wanted to talk about. Yeah, right. uh, we talked about the unnecessarily uh, long guy fall, the guy falling for so long from the cliff. Yeah. So I'm good too. So uh, yeah, I think we're probably ready to rate it. Let's rate it. All right, gang. Since this is the uh, the James Bond roundtable, uh, I'm not going to ask Craig who he wants to go first. I'm just going to say who wants to go first. I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> Six machine guns. <laughs> no, I, I will tell you what. Um, this is an action movie podcast, and this is the least action-y James Bond movie that's out there. The, the first half of this movie is really more drama love story than really an action movie. So while I do very much enjoy this movie overall, it, it struggles in its action. It is too long. I agree with Hovercraft Joe. It's a long-ass movie. There are a lot of scenes that could have been cut and gotten rid of. Um, But I think Lesenby does a good job. I like the execution of a lot of the things that happen. Um, I like that it's a very different take on Bond. Um, But it's definitely, like, a lot of people rate this as one of their favorite James Bond movies of all time. I'm not there. I, I think it's a middle-of-the-road Bond movie. Um, I like the action in it. So, I mean, because Die Another Day got three and a half machine guns, or did I give it three? Regardless, I'm going to give, I'm gonna have to give this movie, I'll give it four machine guns. I, I do think it's a, it's a very good movie. Um, it's the action side of the movie is, is where there's struggle here. So. Um. I'll, I'll I'll go next. Um, and I I don't it's surprisingly because I feel like this is one of those things where our our actual opinions on this aren't that far off, Sphinx. Because here's what I don't think this is a terrible movie. I don't think it's a terrible Bond movie. 
but I also don't think it's a great Bond movie. Like, I am very, I find it very odd when people are like, this is a top five James Bond movie, you know? Like, I just don't see it that way. Like, I think, like you said, I think it's a middle-of-the-pack Bond movie. I think there's definitely worse ones, but I would never put it like, oh, this is one of the best Bond movies. I think Lazenby does a fine, he's okay in the role. I, I don't. Like, again, I I just think it's kind of like a wash because you can't really judge him on this one. I think that it does have a very powerful ending, and I think that ending works really well. But I think people think of the ending of this movie and are like, oh, yeah, this is that. And it's like, yes, that's a good scene. But that's the last five to ten minutes of a two-hour and 22-minute movie. So it's like I think you people remember that part and, like, they don't remember some of the other. Like, literally, like – and I, I told LBJ when we were kind of arguing back and forth in this text, I told him that this is like, parts of this is less fun Austin Powers. Blofeld's outfit is the outfit that they have Dr. Evil wearing in those movies. Yeah. He's wearing the frilly vest, like the, 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 the Frau character in the Austin Powers movie is the Irma, whatever, you know, like this movie is very 60s in some ways. And also as far as the love story goes, I'm fine with it. I don't know if, for as long as this movie is, I don't know if they do enough job selling me the Tracy Bond relationship. Like, they meet, they kind of have a thing, we get one, like, romantic montage of them horseback riding and talking and stuff, and then, like, they're so in love, like, he wants to marry her. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it sells it enough. This movie, uh, the pacing's weird, it's meandering. There's that whole bit in the middle where he spends, like, 40 minutes in Blofeld's base to what end like really it doesn't end up doing anything because they're still just going to pay off Blofeld anyways so I can't quite four is a little high but I'm not uh, I think I'll go three machine guns for this because I do think it's a good movie I just don't love it as a Bond movie and I have some issues with it and it's too long but I'll give it three machine guns because I think in the scope of rate, rating it as a Bond movie, it is better than I'd rather watch this than pretty much any Roger Moore movie, and a lot of the Pierce Brosnan ones. So that was long winded. I'm sorry. Three Machine Guns. All right. Well, I guess I'll go next. Um, I'm right with you, Joe. I think it is too long. I think that um, Lazenby is fine in this. I don't think he's great, but I think he's fine. Um, I really like Telly Savalas as Blofeld. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I think he's. I I'm sad he didn't return later on. I mean, granted they couldn't really use Blofeld, um, but uh, but I like to, I like I like Tully Savalas a lot. Um, the plot is kind of weird in this, in that uh, I don't really get his plan. I mean, I get his plan. I don't get his execution of the plan. <laughs> Like why sexy he would ladies. Come to sexy ladies? I don't understand that. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, and I don't, I'll just say this: we didn't even comment on the fact that like it is pretty bad that like they're like, well, we gotta have a like uh, an Asian lady. Yeah. Like it's very like bad about how it's like it's not just like ten random women. It's like specifically we gotta get representation for each country, and they have to be kind of a stereotype. If Bond had the chance, he would have boned around the world. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Sorry, sorry, LBJ. Let I me continue. Um, I was kind of bored in parts of this movie. Uh, it was just, it was just flat out slow at times, and the pacing's kind of all over the place. Um, there's also we talked about at the beginning the weird editing. Like, there's a lot of speed ramping in this, a lot of weird cutting. Sometimes it's jarring. Like, it's hard to watch some the action that's there 
is hard to watch at points because of just the way it's shot and the way it's cut. It's just a kind of, it has a weird feel to it. And yes, the ending is powerful, but it's such a bummer of an ending for a Bond movie. Like, that's not what I want to see in a Bond movie. I don't want to see the end be this low point. I want it to end on something, you know, Bondian, for for lack of a better word. Um, and this movie gives me none of that. Um, I will say, however, though, that I did enjoy this movie overall. There's just it just needs some work as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm gonna go two and a half machine guns because it's not a terrible movie. It's not a great movie. It's definitely not one of the worst Bond movies, but it's also not one I'm gonna run out and watch again. Yeah, I, you know what's funny, I, and I know Craig's gonna go here. I would like to revise and go to two and a half machine guns because I really feel that's where I'm at with it. Because in that last little bit you said where you're not gonna like, I bought this because I I didn't own it, and I, it's easier if I buy a movie. But like, I can't imagine being like, oh, I gotta watch on Her Majesty's Secret Service again anytime soon. So I. I'm going to back down from my three to two and a half machine guns. I, I, inf- I inflated your score because I'm going off of my James Bond meter. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I, two and a half is where I want to settle. On this. I thought that's what you were going to go with. So, yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I completely understand where you guys are coming from with your, your complaints on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. You know, it is longer. Uh, it does have issues for sure. But I think that there are a lot of really good things that it does. Uh, you know, the intensity of, like, Bond's, you know, flight from Blofeld's Fortress. You know, we get a lot of, like, classic super villainy stuff from Blofeld. You know, the cat in his lap. And, like, yeah, it's a ridiculous scheme that involves the angels of death, a bunch of sexy ladies. But, you know, it, it's all very classic super villainy stuff that I love. Uh, you know, and... I think that they do a good job making Blofeld very intimidating as a villain, too. You know? Like, yeah, he's a creep, but he's a, you know, not a creep you want to cross, you know? He's powerful. Uh, so, I I think that I have to uh, uh, agree with uh, Sphinx. I, I, I'm not here to judge action movies. I only judge James Bond movies. So, I'm going for Machine Guns. I think that uh, uh, it is a, uh, I think that is a, quite good Bond movie. I think that it's very different than the others, so I get why you guys go lower. Fully get that. But I I really enjoyed the movie. <laughs> Can I just say, like, I understand your, your, your rating. I get it. You explained it well. Sphinx's rating for Bond movies boggle <laughs> my mind, because he literally was like, yeah, this is a middle-of-the-road Bond movie. <laughs> it's middle-of-the-road, and he still gave it four machine guns. I really enjoyed it, and I gave it four machine guns. Listen, if the bottom is three or three and a half, then four is in the middle on a five-point scale, okay? Good point. <laughs> yeah. That's a valid point. Thank you. I wow. just, like, I, I just, I I don't know. In, in some ways, I feel like that this is, like, like if I had to create like an analogy, it's like it's like the hip restaurant that like costs too much money and people really don't like the food, but it's like it's cool to say you went there and you like it. And I feel that's why like this movie gets so much like people are like, it's one of the top five Bond movies. Like, is it or is it just like cool to say that it's like one of the top five because it's such an oddball and it does have some good elements. I, I I don't know. Like, I'm not sure where I'm at with it. Like, I just. I have a hard time watching this movie and being like, yep, 
This is one of the best Bond movies ever. Like, it just doesn't seem like it to me. It's interesting, too, because the movie, when it came out, had mixed reviews. Like, uh, people, I mean, I wasn't alive in 1969, but from, from the research I did, like, sure, a lot of people struggled with George Lesenby versus Sean Connery, but I, I think you're right. A lot of people didn't like the direction that this Bond movie was going down, which is why Diamonds Are Forever is such a clusterfuck of a movie after this <laughs> one. Because that's really what they do. They double down on the silliness of the end of the Connery movies. <laughs> I, I, they I, do Diamonds Are Forever. God, I, I hate that movie. I haven't seen it in so long. And I remember in one of our conversations, I was like, that's a pretty good one, right? You guys are like, no. No. It's <laughs> fucking horrible. And I have it's not rewatched. Right. I have not rewatched it since, so I, I do need to do that because uh, since and you think I, the you think the editing is bad on this movie, the editing on that movie is horrific. It has the worst editing of any Bond movie. Did you Diamonds see that forever. they said that like and uh, LBJ will love this that they originally like they thought about having George Lazenby be Bond for the uh, Never Say Never Again. Yeah, um, but then he ended <laughs> up kind of like he did because then he heard that Connery actually wanted to do it, so he's like, okay, I won't do it. But gosh, I feel like. And we can all pretend it's not, but I feel like that's the next Bond movie we're going to cover on this podcast. Never say never again. Never say never again, yeah. Okay. We all know it's true. Okay. God. I'm cool with that. God, no. Here's two reasons why we should do it. One, LBJ has a weird, borderline, (laughs) uh, unhealthy obsession and like of that movie. And two, I actually own it on DVD, so... It's. I mean, basically, we've covered it before. We did Thunderball. All we have to do is <laughs> just true. re. We just need to re-record that episode and do a worse job. And basically, we have the uh, review of Never Say Never Again. And add in add in five minutes where we talk about a really overly complicated like computer game question mark. I can't Fuck wait that movie. <laughs> 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 oh man, I'm, I'm curious as to what that's going to get in uh, Sphinx. So, Never Say Never Again is fair game on the real scale because it's not an official Bond movie. So, oh. I do not give it the Ian production rating of a Bond movie. I can't wait until we get to like that episode and Sphinx spends the whole movie dogging it. And at the end, he's like, 3.25 machine guns out of five. Fucking hated it. Yeah, this movie sucks. Three and a half machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, All I right. think we did I, it. I think we're done with this movie. <laughs> did we get the two and a half hour mark like this movie was? Nope, we are at 1.30. Uh, oh, boy. So, uh, Craig, anything you want to plug? <laughs> I... Yeah, so uh, uh, I'm the, for those who don't know, the Grim Reaper of podcasts. Uh, Every podcast I've ever been on uh, dies. (laughs) You know, just letting you guys know. Uh, It's not over, just like the Bond movie. Craig, I I liken us to a lich. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) Can we we promise, though? Can we promise, though, like, when we have our last episode, that we'll bring Craig on, and then, like, Sphinx will be like, we have all the time in the world, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. No, it's uh, the la- the la- our last episode, it'll, it'll our music will start playing at the end, and then it'll cut out. It'll just be Craig laughing maniacally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's actually a, a very good chance of that happening. Uh, but, no, uh, I've been on Legend of Retro. I've been on Noiseland Arcade. But currently... 
Uh, Noobs and Dragons is on its third and final season. It's still releasing episodes. I recommend checking that out. Mostly because you guys will want to listen to season two, where we had Sphinx and LPJ as uh, two of the characters. Uh, you know, and so sure uh, if you did. enjoy Last Action Podcast, uh, technically, technically between the two of us, we were four characters. That's true. You guys were. You guys uh-huh. kind of had a bonus little uh, adventure uh, in the middle there, like two two uh, adventures in one. Uh, uh, but they'll uh, have to listen to it to find out what the hell that means. I I miss. Um, uh, it seemed like like two thousand years that like LBJ would be talking about Noobs and Dragon, be like, "Well, we're coming, we're coming to the end of season two. And it was like I feel like he literally for a year straight would be like, "We're we're coming close to the end." And then like think he... I feel I was the one saying that <laughs> shit to them to begin with. <laughs> And then, like, he'd be like, no, really, like, seriously, like, I think in another, like, six months, the last episode's going to come out of the season. So I missed that part of it. Two but, years um... later, <laughs> we yeah, finally pretty ended. Much. Pretty much. Um... <laughs> okay, silence for the end. That's cool. Uh, we check us out. of all the time in the world. No, we don't. I feel like we're. I'm running out of hard drive space for this episode. Uh... <laughs> we are the Last Action Podcast. <laughs> Check us out every every Mondays on. This uh, never happened to the other fella. <laughs> Check us out every Mondays on GameZillaMedia.com or anywhere podcasts are available. We are on all the platforms. And go to GameZillaMedia.com, slide down to the bottom of the screen, click on the Discord link, and check us out on Discord. And you can chat with all four of us about whatever it is you want to chat with us about. Our Jake- fans have a lot of guts. Oh, God. We need to be done. And, like, and like maybe you might join the Discord just for the Last Action Podcast channel, but then maybe branch off to another one. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. yeah. We're, okay. This episode of the Last Action Podcast <laughs> has been terminated. But we'll be back 